This morning we continue our Acts series, the series that we're doing in the season of Easter, beginning Easter Sunday and continuing all the way until Pentecost. And this Acts series is meant to kind of re-inspire us, connect us to the way that the church was right after Jesus' own earthly ministry, so that we can see that not a lot has changed, but the opportunity is still there. Today, we hear a gospel lesson from the gospel of Luke, and I think that's really great in this series because the same person who wrote Luke wrote Acts. And so really, Luke is part one of the big story, and Acts is part two. And this gospel lesson that we hear today comes from the very end of the gospel of Luke. In fact, there are only just a couple verses that we did not read at the very end of the story. We hear that Jesus says how he is to suffer and on the third day, rise from the dead. And when doing that, in doing that, change the entire reality of our lives here on earth. And that from this point on, everyone who hears this story is called to proclaim this message to the ends of the earth. And that's really what the apostles begin to do. When we shift from Luke to Acts of the Apostles, it's how they're beginning to do that storytelling. Now, we heard last week that there is a connection from the story of Jesus, and they began to tell the story to others, and very quickly, the church grew. Thousands of people are coming into the church and being baptized and wondering what this life is supposed to be about, and so the apostles were probably a bit shocked with their perceived success, and they had to figure out how to organize themselves in order to keep this ball rolling, to keep that momentum going. And so in the Acts reading that we hear this week, they identify some people who seem to have the spirit in them, who've got this gift and they've got the desire. And they identify these seven people to be part of the sharing of the story, to grow the church. What they're inviting them into is something that is so misunderstood. You see, we have a certain way of living We have a certain set of expectations about our lives. And when we face something like the gospel of Christ, all those things are turned completely on their head. I was reminded about these expectations last night because I was here doing a wedding at St. Michael, and I love weddings. Weddings are so full of hope and joy. I watch these sweet people walk down the aisle knowing that everything is going to be so awesome in the future because they have never been married. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. What's interesting about this moment at a wedding is you've got this pure joy and hope. But this joy and hope is coupled with expectation. Every one of us, no matter what age we are, has expectations of our lives, hopes for our lives, desires. And if we're smart, we work hard. And when we work hard, we can often achieve certain levels of success, meet goals that we set for ourselves. That's all well and good until we start to hit speed bumps, or worse, we hit walls. And when that happens, we begin to question what it is that we're really trying to do with our lives. Or to put another way, how many times do we actually reach those goals, only to find that it was not as important as we thought they were? How often have we been in a situation where we're left thinking, well, is that all there is? 
the apostles in Acts are being offered something more. And they're beginning to bring people into this idea of living for something more than just what the world says is important. And they do so in the reading we had today where they tap what we might call the deacons. They bring these seven people in and they say, we need you to join us in the spreading of this story. And they have bitten the hook, the promise that life could be different. Stephen is lifted up in this story as being perhaps first of those equals. But what we didn't get to in today's reading is what ultimately happens to Stephen. Stephen has all of this energy and this passion, and he goes out and he begins telling the story of Jesus, but he does it too well. And he garners too much attention. And when the leaders of the day call him in front of them and they say, you've got to stop, Stephen says, absolutely not. And they threaten him. And the threat is real. Except what Stephen has figured out is that the people who are powerful in the world no longer have power over the followers of Christ. Because what Jesus has really done is not given them a new set of behaviors or a new set of habits or something just to simply do day to day, but he's given them a vision for the way truth really is. And why I say that is because what is the power that leaders have over people? The ultimate threat that someone can make to someone else is what? Death. And what Jesus has done is he has taken away the ultimate threat. He has taken away the ultimate control that the leaders have. And Stephen is the very first person who lives into that shift. Stephen, what we don't get to, is then taken out of town and he is stoned and he dies. And yet even at the end, Stephen says a prayer for those who are stoning him because he understands that everything that we see in front of us has changed forever and that the transformation is now ours for the taking. Now, this is a very provocative idea. It was then and it still is now, but it's very easy for us to miss this invitation. In fact, I think it's probably even harder now to welcome the transformative offer and opportunity of Christ because our world is kind of good in many ways, right? We can be comfortable and happy and we think we are satisfied much longer. Life is just not as hard for us as it was for them. But when things do get hard, when we do reach those goals, and we ask the question, is this all there is? I hope we remember the offer of Christ to transform us beyond anything we would hope or imagine. When I was in college, I took a Russian literature course because I am a nerd. I saw, I saw someone roll their eyes. It is true. <laughs> My college happened to have just the best Russian program in the country, which is completely random. And I had no interest in Russian, except that if this was, guy was good, I might as well take a class from him. And so it was a study on Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, right? I know, thank you. <laughs> so I took this class. And I was exposed to a lot of the, their writings beforehand, right? I had read War and Peace. I had read Anna Karenina. But in this class, 
I got exposed to a different book from Tolstoy called A Confession. Tolstoy in this book, little book, which is surprising because none of his books really are little, this one explained sort of his life. It was in essence like a journal of his life. And it was a remarkable journal because in this book, Tolstoy described that as a child, he was far too smart to accept all of this Christianity stuff. That instead, he just rejected it. And he began to seek after all of the good stuff that the world promised. At first, he figured that pleasure was probably really the point of life. And so he pursued all of the social opportunities he could until finally, after doing everything he wanted, he realized he was not satisfied. And so he went back to the drawing board and he said, well, maybe money's the answer. And so he worked really hard. He had inherited an estate. He had everything he wanted, but no amount of money seemed to satisfy him. So he thought again, well, maybe success and fame and importance is really what it's all about. But as you know, he was a successful writer. In fact, even in his lifetime, critics thought that War and Peace was one of the best novels ever written. And still that did not seem to satisfy him deeply. Perhaps it's a family life, having a rich family experience that would give him the deepest satisfaction. But he was married young and had a happy marriage and had 13 children. Oh my gosh, he had 13 children. And everyone was doing okay. And still, that did not seem to satisfy the desire that he had deep inside. The meaning of life seemed to escape him. And so he started having conversations with his contemporaries, other artists, other thought leaders, and all of them, one after another, seemed to just ignore the question altogether. They, too, were left unsatisfied, but they had just sort of given up and figured what they saw was the best that it could be. So one day he was walking through the streets of Moscow, and as he was walking through those streets, he saw an old woman hobbling along, and she made a turn down a street, so he followed her, and saw her walk into a church. And he followed her in, and he watched her pray, and he heard the stories of what the person up front was saying. And he realized that perhaps what he had rejected so long ago in order to pursue what he thought was most important was actually the simple truth he had been looking for all along, and it changed his life. This is not an uncommon story. Most people seek after things that are not sacred or holy because we're taught not to. But there's always this desire for something more, always this hunger, this emptiness that cannot be filled by what the world offers. When we are ready, we bite the hook of the opportunity of Christ. And if we are courageous enough we can allow that gospel truth to change everything about our world, change how we see the world itself. Jesus offered him followers a new way of seeing truth. And 2,000 years ago, that simple inspiration to poor people, uneducated, without much worldly power, were able to change the world forever. Just think of what God could do with us if we too, today, bit that hook of faith and allowed Christ 
to change us too. Let us pray. God, we invite you into our hearts today. We invite you to push away all that has kept us from you. All that we seek, the goals that we set for ourselves that never seem to satisfy us enough. Help us remember that your invitation goes to us every day. And perhaps today is the day that we follow you completely and invite you to change and transform the way we see the world forever. Amen.